0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. A few streets to Hebrews. We're nearing the end, uh, not just of our Bibles, but of this series that we've done called God is Great. And, Yet, even as we've walked through this the last 10 plus weeks, don't for a moment think that we've grasped the entirety of the greatness of God. For here's the, the thing, y'all. As you're uh, 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 trying to find it there in your Bible, just, here's the thing. Every time you open your Bible, you encounter God's greatness. There's some light. Every time you come to church, you encounter God's greatness. Every time you look to Christ... You encounter God's greatness. And this really is this putting on human flesh and coming to this earth, that God in all of his greatness would come and dwell. Among us. He left heaven. He became a baby. He lived the perfect sinless life. He accomplished the redemption plan for which he came and he showed us then how to live. This is the greatness of Christmas. It's really the, what the writer of Hebrews accentuates in the book of Hebrews, this point that every time we look to Christ, we see that Jesus is greater. In chapter after chapter in the book of Hebrews, it really has one point to show that Jesus is better. He's greater. He is supreme. He is incomparable. He is greater than Moses. He is greater than the angels. He is greater than the high priests. He is greater. His covenant is greater than all the old covenant. And here's really, that's the main theme then that Jesus is better. The book of Hebrews has one main application then in all things in our life. We must look to Jesus to look to him for he is better than anything or anyone else he is greater than anything or anyone else and so when we come to chapter 12 then we can summarize it this way if you're taking notes you'll want to write this down that fixing our eyes on Jesus is the way to worship walk and work for Jesus We know those three W's, worshiping, walking, and working, to find the authentic disciple, one who follows Christ. Then the way that we follow someone is to fix our eyes or to look to model and imitate the way of Jesus. And so it's very simple here, and yet it is also very practical as we get into the verses here of Hebrews chapter 12. So what I want to do for our time uh, together in the Word of God is we're going to take it a section at a time and look to Jesus together in these four different sections that teach us how to look to Jesus. And so look at your Bibles now. I'm going to read for us verses 1 and 2, and they teach us this, that we look to Jesus as the example. We look to Jesus as the example. Listen now as I read these first two verses. They say this, therefore, of god this is god's word for god's people now note this church there's a principle in life that's just kind of physically as well as spiritually true that the eyes lead the body you get that You've seen this at play. The eyes lead the body. What comes in through your eyes, what we consume, then uh, 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 fuels or leads to how we act, what we, how we behave, what we believe. But the eyes lead the body. We know this spiritually true. This is why what we consume is so important. But it's also true when we're driving or when we're biking. Yeah, we we what we are where we are looking is where we are going. If we're looking over our shoulder as we're driving, where are we going to probably go? really we're going to start to creep into the other lane or maybe even worse into the ditch and this is true even in uh, in cycling whether you're road biking or mountain biking and it's really what sets great bikers apart for where you uh, go is or where you look is where you go and the ability to see the trail is really what makes you a good mountain biker and to be able to just see keep eyes fixed on the path through the uh, trees through the rocks through the various obstacles in the way is what makes for an enjoyment enjoyable on bike ride along with the courage and the stamina and all those things that are needed because where are we prone to look we're prone to look at the obstacles aren't we like there's a big rock i don't want to hit it and we're looking right at it and so where are we going as we're riding our bike we're just heading straight towards it or we're also prone to look around at the scenery man, this is beautiful out here, right? the, The beautiful trees, the clouds, there's no traffic. If we're out in God's creation, we're tempted to look around, and yet where we need to fix our eyes is on the trail, even if it means we can't be looking at the beautiful things. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is taking us to here. He's saying, hey, what you look at then, what you look at, is what is most important about you. And who we look at is what is most important here. And and we can be tempted even to look at the people around us. No, we'll come back to verse one here for a second. The therefore is important connector because it's connecting us to what? Chapter 11, the context that is coming. Anytime there's a therefore, it is a summary statement of what has come previously. And so he's saying, hey, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, the hall of faith of chapter. As you're thinking about this, you've maybe drawn these uh, conclusions yourself. But what this is not talking about, the, uh, the, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, not like guardian angels. Like in the atmosphere around us, we are surrounded by all the angels, not what it's talking about. Or you might be thinking, like, this is talking of our loved ones that have gone on before us that are now looking down at heaven on us and watching us. Now, I've not been to heaven, but the indication that we get from heaven is that those that have gone on to heaven, they're not looking down upon us. They're looking at one person. Now, who knows whether or not they are aware of what is happening down here. They are consumed. They themselves are fixing their eyes on the Lamb of God. Looking to Him. So we're surrounded by these people. It's the people, the Hall of Faith, those uh, biblical examples that have shown us how to live by faith and to look to Jesus. And praise God, we don't just have the guys in chapter 11 here, but for the personal examples that we have in our life too, right? And God has given you uh, people to show you how to uh, follow Christ. And so we look to Him as the example through the examples of those who have gone on before us. Namely, and how they have, uh, uh, have gotten rid of sin look at how it goes on there, because this is what we are to be doing as well, as we look to Christ as the example, He who had no sin, who endured no sin, but we are ourselves encumbered by sin, and so we're to lay it aside, that which clings so closely, that which is weighing us down and tripping us up in the race. Now, this isn't news to us, as we've been going through the greatness of God, and seeing God's greatness through our sanctification, as we take the shears to our sin. Now, sin is like a Trying to run a Christmas marathon, wrapped up uh, head to toe with uh, Christmas lights like a Christmas tree, wearing an ugly sweater with a Santa hat and elf slippers, and carrying a Santa sack full of Christmas gifts over our uh, over our shoulder. Now, if we were to try to run a race, how far would we get? let alone do you think we would win if that was how we were dressed for the race? Think we would get very far, church? Absolutely not. What we need to do, you know, is to take the shears to all these things so that we can run. We may be all lit up and look cool, but we are severely hindered. The worst part is that all the lights that are around us blind us from the path of obedience and ultimately of seeing Christ Himself. And so what needs to happen In order for us to look to Christ as the example, we need to take the shears to our sin and cut it off so it no longer entangles us as we follow him. And notice here, as we follow Christ as the example, who sets the course? Do we set the course at the end of verse 1? Let us run with endurance the race that we set before us. No, that is, that is established for us. See, God sets the course. We're pretty good at making up a own course for ourselves, And yet it is God who sets the course and God sets our eyes on Christ then. And so, so look here uh, for just a moment, uh, church, as we, as we come into the text here, what, we are, what the writer of Hebrews is getting at us this morning. He's saying all of these things, all of the distractions, good things and bad things, here's what we need to be doing as we look to Christ. We need to look to specific things about Him. See, the operative command here really is in verse 2. We're looking to Jesus. Who is? Here's what we bring to mind. As we look to Him as our example, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so as we are going about life, especially this Christmas, there's sin that entangles us. There's distractions. There are great people before us. But who we need to keep our eyes fixed on is Christ, the one who is the beginning and end of our salvation. The beginning and end of our faith, the one whom it is set upon the foundation and the one who is bringing it to completion. Do you need encouragement this Christmas season? Then look no farther than Christ, the one who gave you your salvation. Remember what he did. Remember why he came and you will be encouraged. Are you uh, in, in need of endurance this Christmas season? Guess who you should look to? Guess what the writer of Hebrews calls us to set our minds for? Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? Look to Christ's joyful sacrifice. Look to his sacrifice. Do you need endurance? Remember that Jesus faced his own trial. He faced the cross with joy. And this is so important for us. It is not as though Christ was sent and he accomplished the mission reluctantly. It is not as though Christ came and died uh, His death unwillingly as a victim of His Father's punishment. No, Christ came willingly. He came with joy, satisfied with what God had called Him to do. He had joy even in death. This is how He endured. This is what kept Him going, even through the pain. Even Come to Christmas and all these things are distracting. Do you need some relief? Well, look no farther than Christ and the complete freedom that he won for us. Look at how it says, he came, the joy set before him, and he was despising the shame. Do you remember not just Christ's birth, but also his death? And the great shame that came from dying this horrible criminal's death. Exposed before the people. The death and that the came the the curse that it came from those who would be hung on a tree. Buying us, winning for us, accomplishing for us complete freedom. You need relief from your sin. Do you need relief from the shame that haunts you? Note this: then all the things that you hate about your past, all the things that what, what that the enemy uses to like. Cultivate this, uh, these feelings of shame and guilt about the things that nobody else knows. All of that, if you are in Christ, have been nailed to the cross. Remember that this Christmas. As the people you might be around, bring those things to mind. Note this, that in Christ, in his death, he won your freedom as well. We look to Christ as our example. He you need some hope today, look to his victorious resurrection. Where is he now, Church? seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You need some hope about uh, better days ahead? Note this, that Christ is ruling and reigning right now. Ruling and reigning, and not just there uh, 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 orchestrating all things uh, uh, in the uh, universe, but he is interceding for you, Romans 8 says, interceding on your behalf, pleading your case. Church, you have powerful friends in high places. That is where God is seated at the right hand See Christ is an example. We see His life and we see God. We see Him. We look to Him and He shows us how to then live. Philip was uh, asking Jesus this question in, in John chapter 14 when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And to that, Philip says in verse 8, "He says like, Lord, then show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus replies to him, have I been with you so long and that you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. We look to Christ, we fix our eyes on Him, and we see God in this church is the glory of Christmas, that God became flesh, God made Himself visible to us, teaching us how then we are to live, giving us the hope and the help that we need if only we would look to Him. See, as we look beyond the lights, as we look beyond the gifts and the holiday cheer, and we see Christ. But the text goes on because here's the here's here's we looked him as the example. But here also in these specific moments we look to Christ when we are tempted. When we are tempted, here come to verse chapter or uh, chapter 12, verse three, and let me read the next section for us. Continuing on this theme of looking to Jesus, it says this: Consider him then who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now this is God's word for God's people yet again. You know, verses 1 and 2 were, uh, were doctrinal. Teaching us to look to Christ in maybe a, in a, in a doctrinal or just kind of a, a, a uh, you know, general way. Then now these are super practical here. For when are we to consider Christ? It is when we are tempted, when we are tempted and weary and tempted and, and facing the consequences. You know, the consider here in verse 3 is that same, uh, comes from that same root word as count. The same way that God looks at us in our salvation, remember that glorious truth? In our justification, God considers us or counts us righteous in Christ, because of what Christ has done, and then we, in turn, that settled decision in our heart, we consider ourselves what dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so now, when it comes to living that out, hear it again: the settled. Usually, when we are in our battle against sin, when do we look to Christ? Church is when we are tempted, tempted to sin, tempted to walk away from the Lord. When we are tempted to just give in. And yet, even in that, maybe you're feeling a little battle-weary, a little worn out from the fight, and maybe you're just wondering, it's like, is, is the Christian life just this hard? Have you ever been there? You, you ever you ever been there just where you were feeling tempted? Maybe you think you've achieved some victory, you've gone a season where it has not been a struggle, and then out of nowhere, seemingly, it's really hard again. Like, man, when will this ever stop? Maybe you're in the midst of that, even right now. Let me just encourage you here, even though we just finished it up in the spring, would invite you to participate in Freedom Group. And let me just let you in on a little, like, insight about Freedom Group. Guess what it's all about? Pointing your eyes back to Christ. No matter what sin, no matter what temptation, no matter what you may be suffering or struggling through in this life, it is all uh, 13 weeks of pointing people to Jesus in these small groups. Because we need it. sometimes, like, we, we feel like this in verse 3, right? We're enduring this hostility uh, from others, and we're growing weary and faint-hearted, just like Christ was. And isn't there so much comfort here to know like the writer of Hebrews brings us out in chapter 4 again. He's like, I mean, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He actually can. Why? Because he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. That was this is the glory of Christmas, y'all. Christ came and walked in our shoes. He knows what we are going through. And he himself endured hostility. He himself uh, uh, walked through this life, yet without sin. Sin, and yet he too became weary. Be tempted and weary, look to the endurance of Christ, the one who made it to the end and has promised to bring you to the end, the one who persevered so that you can persevere. His endurance is our endurance in the same way that his death is our death and his resurrection is our resurrection uh, 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 and our hope. We must settle this right now, even in our mind. You can say no, we will make it to the end. But the bulk of the text here then takes us for when we are tempted and sinning and then facing the consequences, or as verses 5 through 11 teach, us in our discipline. See, the greatness of God's love is that He, despite our sin, He has purpose in and through our discipline. He loves us enough to correct us. This is the greatness of of God, y'all. This isn't a a love that is pandering, a love that uh, just lets us go our own way. No, Christ loves us enough to teach us how to walk and also then correct us. Why does he do this? Well, Christ bore the penalty of our sin. He took God's wrath so that we're not condemned or killed by it and, and sent to hell. But now as we do sin, we face the consequences he lovingly Disciplines us with a purpose and this is a normal part of being in the family just like the text said, right? It's like in a loving family. There is discipline children are born with foolishness bound up in their heart Proverbs says and it needs to be Disciplined not abused not beaten out of people But lovingly disciplined corrected so that we will follow Christ and so what is the purpose of discipline? Text brings it out for us. So the purpose and discipline is to expose foolishness. It's to expose foolishness or to jar loose some sin that we are entangled to. Right? The very commands in the opening verse here, this is how it happens. This is how it becomes exposed so that we, it is, where it's brought to our minds. So we say, ooh, we should not live that way. Ooh, I don't want to do that. But it's not just enough to say, hey, don't do this, but now also live this way. This is the, what it produces or the spiritual formation that comes from following Christ. We are trained by it, as verse 11 says. And so what does it produce in us? It produces the endurance that we've talked about here. Discipline, just like a a, a discipline and an athletic fee, we are uh, being disciplined, we show up at the right time, we do uh, the things we know we're to do, and we don't do the things that we know we should not do. Why? So we can continue following Christ. As verse 10 says, it also produces in us holiness. Why? Because this is our good. God's discipline is always for our good, and it produces in us, as verse 11 says, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The opposite of what is produced in our sin not the peaceful fruit of righteousness but rather the, the at war fruit of unrighteousness and so what is this what is the peaceful fruit of righteousness it's namely well it's just godly living what, what discipline produces and this is what discipleship is all about this is what parenting is all about coming alongside uh, uh, one another and saying no 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 this is not this way this is not This is what discipline is producing. It's not enough to just say, hey, no, stop, don't do that. But also then to demonstrate good and right and godly behavior. In church, who do we look to as the perfect example of good and right and God-honoring behavior? We look to Christ. We look to Christ, the one who was disciplined, the one who bore the consequences for our sin. And this is what we have in Christ, the one who became flesh. The one who modeled the perfect life and righteousness, the one who battled against sin. Not our sin or not his sin, but our sin. See if we look to our sin, guess what will what will happen in our minds? It'd become enticing, won't it? The more we look at something, the better it gets. The more you stare at it, of course, the more alluring it becomes. If we look at our sin, it'll entice us, but it'll lead to painful discipline. But look to Christ. Look to Christ and all else will pale in comparison. Look to Christ and you will also regain your strength. See, the text goes on. We look to Christ as our example. We look to Christ when we are tempted, but we also look to Christ when we are tired. When we're, when we're tired, look at where verse 12 picks us up here. It says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This again is God's word for God's people. Church, does your walk with Christ ever feel like uh, verse 12 describes? Drooping hands, weak knees, kind of like a plodding along, a weariness, an overwhelmed thing. Just like we talked about here against the battle against sin, and, and yet he's like, this is, this is how it feels like, and I get it. I'm often there myself. But if we are there, then we need the comforting reminder of the peace and the rest that we have with Christ. This is what he's taking us to. He's saying, hey, we're looking to Jesus. If this is how you feel, if you are physically or spiritually tired, look to Christ. And in these verses here, there's like this comforting reminder hey, just again, look to Christ, but also a warning, an exhortation to let not your tiredness lead to bitterness nor foolishness. For see, in the first few verses here, there's the comfort. We look to Christ and we can find physical rest. Are you physically tired? He says, hey, if this is you, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. How do we do that? We take up Christ's invitation from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, are you physically tired this morning? Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Take up his invitation. You will find rest for your soul. As your soul finds rest, your body will find rest as well. See, are you decisionally tired? What I mean by that, are you exhausted from just the amount of uh, seemingly, you know, massive decisions that we have had to make this last year, two years, really, of wondering where to go, what path to take. God, what should I do in my job? What should I do in this case? Verse 13 says, he says, make straight paths for your feet. See, church, as we look to Christ, we look to Christ and we will find straight paths. You know this verse likely in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord, With all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he might make straight your paths. He will. He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Proverbs three: five through. Look to Christ, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths, and He will also give you this the physical uh, refreshment that you might need. Are you tired today? Look to Christ. But it's also, it doesn't just end there. Are you physically tired? Are you decisionally tired? Are you relationally tired? Look at what verse 14 says. Strive for peace with the people you love and the holiness without... No. Verse 14, strive for peace with everybody. See, maybe you're relationally tired. You've just been through a season where it's, it, 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 you're just you're feeling the weight of relationships. Things have happened. Your sin has affected others. Uh, their sin maybe has affected you. And what he's saying is look to Christ to be at peace with everybody. Now, we talked about this a lot last week, didn't we, in Ephesians chapter 2. The glory of our reconciliation, our peace with God, means that we now, as believers, we have peace with one another. We can be reconciled to one another. And the glorious truths of that. But this verse expands it. Strive for peace with everyone. Paul brings this out in Romans 12, uh, verse 18 as well. He says, so far, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I love the caveats that he gives because it is like, uh, from our side, we're going to do everything that we can to live at peace peace. Why can we do that? Because we know what God has done for us. And so we saying, are you relationally tired? Well, look to Christ, the one who we are at peace with, the holiness uh, that comes from walking with him. See, we're at peace with him. We have a vertical peace here, an inward peace with the Lord that leads then to this outward peace here. Are you tired today? Look to Christ, church. Look to Christ, but then take the warnings here from verse 15. Failure to look to Christ. And you'll find yourself ensnared, enslaved to bitterness. This hardness of heart that results from unforgiveness. From an unwillingness to extend what God has extended to you. He says see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and many become defiled see this isn't just merely these this uh, bitterness this unforgiveness that exists between people isn't merely just something that exists between two people the offended one and the and and the offender but rather it defiles many effects as we walk in this uh, are, are contagious towards others we all know the Ugly, ugly effects of bitterness, don't we? We all know someone who who's lived like this, Who's this is just the character of their life. But let me ask, is it you? Is this a is root of bitterness just like ensnaring in- your heart towards the person that you might be seeing later this week? The person that you live with or the person that you won't be seeing this week? See to it that this does not ensnare you. Rather, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Take also the warning from these verses. If you uh, find yourself reaping the consequences of foolishness, verses 16 and 17 bring out the Old Testament guy, Esau. Are you familiar with him? Those middle chapters in the book of Genesis, the twin brother of Jacob, the son of Isaac, and Rebekah there. And he, as he grew and as God was as uh, blessing was upon this family, the promised blessings from Abraham went to Isaac and then would go to his sons and Esau. Then in, uh, in great foolishness went and married foreign wives outside of the family that led his heart away from the Lord is why marriage is, is so important here. He willingly married someone who divided his heart, that led him down a, a path that, that did not end very well for him, as we see, all the way to the point where he sells his entire birthright. But in essence, what would come from uh, the, the that inherited spiritual blessings from Abraham to Isaac, now through going to Jacob, and he sells it all for a single meal. You know the story, there's great deception, there's all kinds of, uh, of uh, mind-boggling things that happen. And really it just goes to show that nothing, not even our most foolish of sins, can, can stop the promises and the goodness of God towards his people. But what is doing here, and the warning that is coming to us, is that we are so willing to sacrifice long-term or eternal rewards for immediate satisfaction. Every time we give in to sin, we do this. We're choosing the passing pleasures of sin, a single meal, for eternal reward, knowing Christ Jesus. And so how do, we, how do we avoid that? How do we get ourselves out of this mess? Look to Christ. Fix your gaze upon Christ. See, the greatness of God could not and still cannot be thwarted by our foolishness. Genesis proves that. The Bible repeatedly does. The point, then, is then to look to Christ The writer of Hebrews just over and over here, through our temptations, through our tiredness, through these warnings, through the comforts, where is he directing our gaze? Back to Christ. See, when we're tempted, whether we're tired, see, we fix our eyes on him, then as our reward. The greatness of God is wrapped up in this one man, Jesus Christ. And remember I said how the message of Hebrews really can be simplified as Jesus is better. He is better. Why? Because he is our reward. We look to Christ as our reward. And the remaining verses here will teach us that Jesus is better than the old covenant. He's better than what Israel experienced at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19 through 40. Look here at verse 18. I want to read it for us, but I give you the context so you can remember it here. Follow along in your Bible as we finish out the chapter. He says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear, but you have come to Mount Zion. and..." The city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the uh, sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is God's word for God's people. Now there's a lot of words there, a lot of imagery, right? And what the writer of Hebrews is bringing out for us, he's saying as glorious as it must have been to stand on that mountain and to see all the lightning and to see everything happen, as terrifying as it must have been to stand at that mountain and hear his voice, so much so that they're like, stop speaking, God. All of that pales in comparison to the glory that awaits us. All of that pales in comparison to what Christ did at the cross. All of that, he says, but we, verse 22, is the transition, but you've come to Mount Zion, spiritual city here, where God is, where the the spirits of the righteous, those who've gone before us, where Jesus is, who was the mediator, who his blood was the remedy for sin, Abel's blood was the result of sin as Cain killed his brother. But all of this, all of the glory, all of the cool things that we read about in the Old Testament through the Mosaic Covenant and these covenants of our Old Testament, all of that pales into comparison to what we have now in the New Covenant, with Christ, who is our reward. With Christ, the one whom we worship. And it is God who's calling us to himself. God who is speaking. Don't miss that verse 25. Don't refuse him who is speaking. Speaking through the Son. Who came, lived this life. Who then beckons us near like a warm campfire on a dark night. Dark and cold night. Beckoning us in to feel the warmth. To experience it. But also warning us to not be playing around with it lest we are consumed. The Israelites were messing around after Mount Sinai. What happened? Tens of thousands died. We read over that, and it's just like, well, a lot of people, yeah. Wonder how they buried all those guys. Wonder like funerals for days. We miss what happened as a result of their sin. And now that all that Old Testament system, all that has changed, or to use words, it's shaken. Don't think for a moment that God has been shaken or that He has changed. Verse 8 of chapter 13 says otherwise, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But as a matter of fact here, we now have a better system, a better covenant. We now have Christ, so the stakes are higher. This then leads us to worship Him. Therefore, then let us be grateful. We think about what Christmas is all about. As we think about the salvation that we have because of Christ coming, as we think about the hope that we have, as we think about the help that we have in Christ's example, it leads us then to verse 28 to be grateful. Are you thankful this Christmas season, church? Not for the toys and the gifts that you'll get. Not for the cards that you'll have or the food and the family. All of those things, yes. But offering thanks to God that we have something that can't be shaken. Your job can get shaken up. Government can get shaken up. Your family gets shaken up. Yet what do we do when things do get shaken? We grab hold of something that cannot be shaken something that is firm and secure, something that is immovable. And this is Christ. This is His kingdom. King who we serve, the King whom we worship. We worship Him with reverence and awe. Why? Because He is the reward. We serve Him with reverence and awe. Why? Because He is the reward and our work for Christ is also our worship with Christ because we are walking with Christ. And in it all, our eyes are fixed on him in awe of his greatness, in reverence of his holiness. You know, as we are in our Christmas week now and our minds are a million places and our eyes are drawn to the lights and our ears to the sounds of Christmas music and our hearts are prone to receive instead of loving to give, at the Spirit of God even this week, turn and direct our gaze back on Jesus, the humble baby born the king of kings whom we worship. you pray with me now and then we'll sing to him. God in heaven, here we are. Here we are with a very uh, simple command with a very simple reaction, we want to look to you in order to worship you. Lord, I confess, all that seems maybe pretty easy. All that seems pretty simple until we get into the details of our life and just grateful, God, that that's not lost on you. So would you help us in this room? Would you help us here who are gathered uh, under your name? Would you help us who are found in you to have this hope? And Lord, maybe there's some, you know all of our hearts this morning in here. There are some who don't have this hope, who can't do this, and you need to open their eyes to see you this morning, Jesus. Would you do that even now? Things that we've been talking about, God, but uh, would, would uh, you, by your Spirit, open their eyes? same way that you uh, opened Paul's eyes and the scales were removed, would you open your eyes even today to see you? See the consequences of sin, glory, and the free gift that is found in Jesus, the best gift of all, our reward. So do that. Do that in our hearts today, God. Would you help us to sing, to worship you now in reverence and awe? Pray these things in Christ's name. God's people said...